a lot of people are familiar with the Mark of the Beast, and there's a lot of speculation about what that will look like and how that will come about. But many Christians are less familiar with the fact that Scripture talks about God's people being marked by Him, by having a mark on their foreheads that distinguishes them from the wicked. And in that way, they do not come under the judgments that the rest of the world is coming under. And there are instances of that throughout Scripture, um, ones in Revelation, Ezekiel chapter 8, in which the prophet Ezekiel in a vision sees incense being offered up to demons and the worshiping of the sun by the people of Israel and their elders too in the temple of Jehovah. And each time Ezekiel views the loathsome practices happening in the sacred place, he's told, look again and you'll see things that are even more detestable. Have you seen this? The Lord asks, is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? That's Ezekiel 8, 17. So the wickedness of God's people provokes a response to his holiness. He must render swift and severe judgment on the nation. Just before he instructs his angels to carry this out, he tells them, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and make a mark on the foreheads of the people who groan and sigh over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. And very interestingly, the mark which is written here in the original text, is a tau. That's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which in the ancient Hebrew was in the shape of the cross. So among God's people who are called by his name are a remnant that mourn the vile practices pervading the land. This passage jumped out at me recently, and I believe the Lord would have his people understand what it means to groan over the abominations in our land. There are numerous abominations in our own land here in the United States, but the detestable practice of abortion is a sin our nation bears that God will not continue to tolerate. We can't kick this issue down the field any longer. We are approaching a tipping point. In our culture right now, the sacredness of Imago Dea is no longer reality. Worse, much of Christendom is desensitized to this horror in our midst, sometimes glibly parroting the rationalization of the world in the face of babies slain and dismembered at the hands of their own parents. The Holy Spirit intercedes for his church with groanings too deep for words, according to Romans 8.26. There's a point in which we run out of speech. We are too overwhelmed by the injustice, the bloodshed, the loss of this happening, by all that grieves the Father's heart. I'll never forget the time the Lord allowed me to feel for just a moment what he feels toward the violation of his law as it pertains to the slaying of innocent children by abortion. It was unbearable what I felt in that instance, and I begged him to take it away from me. I could not withstand. If I am indeed the Lord's friend, the only fitting response is to take a stand against this great evil, both in prayer and in deed. The Lord would have his people understand what it means to groan in prayer. 
My cry right now is for righteous judges. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the afflicted and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Save them from the hand of the wicked. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And Jeremiah twenty two sixteen says, He took up the cause of the poor and needy, and so it went well with him. Is this not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. The scriptures stress that there's something very specific about the groans and sighs and cries of God's people that reaches his ear and moves his hand. Because of the devastation of the poor, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. May the groans of the captives reach you by the strength of your arm. Preserve those condemned to death. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And Psalm 1018 says, You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Will you take a moment from the demands of your day to mourn that which injures the father's heart and to cry out for justice for the least of these in our society? We are at war. Scripture teaches that there are two supernatural kingdoms here on earth, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Too many Christians have accepted Satan's lie that the world is getting worse by the minute, and all we can do is hold on tight to what we've got until Christ returns. Such a worldview paralyzes the church when weapons of might, weapons of dynamite, have been provided for her by our almighty warrior, Christ himself. Christians can and must learn to use these spiritual weapons in order to break the strongholds and crush the schemes of the Prince of Darkness. Check out my book, The Two Kingdoms, Understanding Your Role in Spiritual Warfare, on Amazon. Again, The Two Kingdoms, Understanding Your Role in Spiritual Warfare, available on Amazon or at emilytomco.com.